Welcome, welcome, everybody, back to a new episode of the UW Film Club podcast, where each week we invite a member of the club onto the show to talk about a film of their choice, whether it be good, bad, topically relevant, or anything in between. It's all on the table. I'm your host, Rohan Patel, and joining me are my regular co-hosts, Stephanie Chuang and Cynthia Lee. How are y'all doing? We're about to enter a very depressing three movies trilogy. Oh yeah, it's it, no, I I see Ingmar as like the soul of like all rom coms today, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so I don't know what about you, but I think I, I'm very excited to just feel the joy and the happiness with all his movies. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, you're right. He's he's it's it, Ingmar is a is a, is a delightful filmmaker, but also very hard to watch many many of his films, but. I'm excited. I love everything from Ingmar. Ingmar has done no wrong, at least from what I've seen. So yeah. Stephanie, how are you doing? Uh, I'm I'm good. I was excited to watch it, watch this film. I like started it and then I could see like, I could see what it, the movie was turning out to be. And I was like, ooh, good job, Ingmar. I'm, I'm rooting for you. I've, it was good. I, I agree. And yeah, so for those that are familiar or have not been listening as of recent, currently we are recording this in the middle of summer uh, quarter, which means there is no film club. So there are no members to bring onto the podcast. So in lieu of that, we here are going through trilogies of filmmakers. Um, we've done, let's see, we've done Wes Anderson, Hayao Miyazaki, and Emmerich Pressburger and Michael Powell, and we are now kicking off the fourth trilogy, which is of Ingmar Bergman. Um, we tried to choose some interesting ones, ones that people perhaps have not watched. We try to watch ones that we haven't watched, or at least most of us haven't watched. So today we're going to be why talking. Persona is not on here. Yeah, that is why hey, Persona. No spoilers. <laughs> well, I think I already told everybody what we were going to do last podcast, but oh, did we? Well, I think it's so. Been a while. I, oh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So um, I, I, I will, I will reveal it either way. So um, today we're going to be covering um, Ingmar Bergman's 1968 film Shame. Next week on the pod, we will be talking about Autumn Sonata, and then following that. We will be talking about Scenes from a Marriage, a remake of which is coming out very, very soon. So hopefully we can talk about that. We're going to be watching the miniseries instead of just the shortened movie version. So that should be an interesting Even pod. more but... depressing. Oh, yeah. No, you, 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 can't, you, you can't just like shorten what Ingmar puts out there. You got to watch every single minute of the depression out there. So mm-hmm. can't do that. But yeah. So yeah. So like I said, 1968 film Shame, uh, directed by Ingmar Bergman. That is the film we're going to be talking about today. Um, so before we go into any of our thoughts, I thought I'd give just a little quick, you know, plot synopsis in case anybody has not. Every time I do this, Cynthia just laughs like so hard. I don't understand I mean, the, it. The thought of you pulling up Wikipedia and then like scanning through as you read it is so yeah. amusing. <laughs> well, okay. I, I I do that as like a backup. Like I I, I, re- I write it out and then like I know what my plan is for pl- doing it. And then I just scan Wikipedia in case I miss anything major. So I have a very thorough system for bringing this out. But okay. um, yeah. Um, All right, so basically the film revolves around this couple, Jean and Ava, uh, who are a married couple that were formerly violinists. Uh, They live on a farm on a rural island in the midst of an unnamed war. 
Um, over the course of the first 30 minutes or so of the film, we learn a lot about the couple. Uh, Jan seems to be a bit more in favor of escapism, both in terms of the war and his relationship with Ava. And they seem to be, in general, a couple that's very on and off. They'll discuss like the beauty of the future in their relationship one moment, and then they'll be in the midst of a heated argument in the next moment. Um, and the plot really kicks off when both of them visit uh, the local town where they hear troops from the war maybe entering their region. And when they return home, their home is uh, bombed and they're captured by enemy militants after one of the troopers from the planes that bombed them uh, parachuted onto their property. Uh, the militants forced Eva to interview with them after her quote unquote liberation. And uh, they tried to get her to declare a political affiliation, but she refuses to do so. And as soon as they are released, they are only to be then captured by friendly soldiers. And while they are detained, they are shown that very footage of Ava being interviewed, um, where she is dubbed in another voice as saying she declares an affinity with the enemy's uh, political affiliation. Uh, they try to get Ava to confess to betraying um, the, uh, their war efforts, uh, but nothing you know, comes of it. Uh, Colonel uh, Jacoby, uh, the former mayor of the town, who is now in charge of like the local troops, um, he personally releases Jan and Ava. And over the course of the next uh, couple of minutes, Jacoby begins to like over the days uh, visit the couple more and more frequently. He gives gifts and like asserts his power um, in a very manipulative way. Um, he's he threatens to send them to a war camp if they don't do what he says. And in this manipulative, manipulative relationship, Jacoby forces Ava to have sex with him in exchange for him giving her, her pers his personal savings. She does so, and then Jan dis discovers him having sex outside and after finding the money that Jacoby gives her in their bedroom. And after this encounter, uh, soldiers arrive and the, uh, to meet Jacoby, and they promise him his freedom in exchange for money. And therefore, Jacoby asks Ava for the money, who then asks Jan for the money, and Jan claims to not have it. So then the soldiers raid their house, and they offer Jan the opportunity to execute Jacoby for not having the money, and he does so. In the, midst of, in, in the aftermath of this, they burn their house down, and Jan pulls out the money as soon as they leave out of his back pocket. Ava is completely horrified at this, and their relationship as the dwindle down, it becomes very distant and cold. A young soldier then you know, stumbles upon the ruins of their property one day, and Ava pleads to let the boy sleep, but Jan drags him away and kills him. In doing so, Jan uh, learns that the boy was heading to a fishing boat to escape the island in the war, and Ava hesitantly joins him. They buy their way onto the boat using the savings from the colonel, and they go on a long journey, which ends the film. The boat eventually breaks down in the middle of the water. The boat operator that kills himself by jumping overboard and isolated with the other passengers, Jan and Eva begin to suffer dehydration and hunger. They pass by a patch of dead bodies at one point, and then the film ends with Eva describing a dream as Jan and her are dying on the boat with the other passengers, um, in which she sees a wall of burning roses, and she states it wasn't awful because it was beautiful. 
And that is how it ends. So yeah, that is a basic plot synopsis of the film. I wanted to start off this conversation possibly talking about war films. So I'm curious what y'all look for in a war film. Like what, what makes a war film something that you're up for if you're up for war films at all? Because Ingmar Bergman doesn't really do this type of genre. This is like a trilogy of films that he's sort of experimenting with drama influences. And so I'm just curious, like, before coming into this sort of what you think of what your favorite war films sort of look like or if you like any war films at all. I like war films that are not focused on war and more focused on like how war affects normal people. I think that's infinitely more interesting than shooting. That being said, Dunkirk was a really good movie, so maybe <laughs> I'm wrong, but like I, I don't know. I like 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 Atonement. I think I really like I really like Atonement. That's like a war movie. I really like The Book Thief, which is also like a war movie. I, I'm like a sucker for World War Two stuff, I guess. But I think like how war and like Schindler Schindler's List is also probably a good one. Just like the real casualties of war is like civilians and stuff. I think I I like that theme, and I think this movie does really it focuses on that you don't ever really see like battlefield fighting it's just a lot of people who are scared and and being forced to do things they don't want to do and run away i love dunkirk and i'm gonna disagree with you that that film is purely spectacle because i think what makes that film like stand out to me is it's what you're saying about what I like you enjoy about war films which is kind of war as a backdrop and more of like how that affects people's internal way of thinking and how they become who they become because of like this really absurd situation uh for me personally I mean I don't really go and seek out a war film like at all but I don't necessarily like dislike a war film if it was just like shooting and spectacle you know I think for me I think I would lean towards more of like it focusing more on the people that it affects rather than the war itself but I don't necessarily have a bias towards not liking films that are pure spectacle now in terms of war films and its themes I think that's where I more draw the line because there are a lot of war films that are like respect your veterans because of all the things they've gone through and blah 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 and then they use like the spectacle as an excuse to like go like call of duty or whatever and that is when I'm like I don't want to watch you um war films that are unnecessarily patriotic yeah yeah yeah, yeah. stop please stop yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with both of you. I think like one of the best films that kind of merges both of the ideas is like 1917 from a couple of years ago. I think ago. we are like the few people that act. Yeah, I forgot about 1917. Film. I think a lot of people don't like that movie. Why don't a lot of people like it? I don't understand the, the hate a- there. We're, yeah. we're, I feel like we're unnecessarily in a minority oh, on yeah, that. Oh yeah, agreed. But like the spectacle there, like with the camera and stuff, it matches such the 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 character driven part of the story and like the emotional side uh-huh. and i think I, I think it can work either way um like dunkirk i also agree is amazing but like in this film it completely 
like I, I actually think like part of the spectacle here is not really quote unquote well done, but I don't think it necessarily even has to be for what oh, this film's trying so to go well for. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, we could probably talk about that later, but like mm-hmm. I, I'm probably also like living in 2000 standards. So um, that that might be biasing me, but I, I, I personally like war films that I, I agree, like the sort of massive thing that's bigger than all of us sort of manipulating our lives and sort of breaking it down on the micro level I that's what I personally lead towards so I, I I think that's a good starting point for probably we can jump right into some of the themes of the film and I would say probably the biggest in my opinion is the like I said the destruction of the personal relationship so I'm just wondering you know what because for me, the the, the relation, I, I think this film sort of picks up really, really fast as it keeps on going. So I'm wondering how y- you all thought about the opening of the film, sort of the establishing Jan and Ava's relationship and sort of not really focusing on the war per se, but like just on their relationship. I, I was wondering, did you all find that was effective? Um, did you think that it was a bit too slow? Um, I'm just wondering what you all think. I thought it was I thought it was it was good I like the degradation of the relationship I think even if the war wasn't a thing I think they were like not particularly well matched together even if there wasn't even if there wasn't a war um I I do I like how Ingmar like he it's sort of even though the war's been going on for a while when the movie starts but the war does sort of like encroach on them and their personal lives and space and you like seeing that degradation was like it was well thought out and it was well done i think there's like towards the end of the movie there's like right after jan shoots the boy ava is like disgusted with him she's like i'm not coming with you and he's like good that'll be easier and then right after that she says we should pack some food And I was like, oh my goodness, you guys are so dysfunctional. Even without the war, you guys are crazy. Like, they, like, even in the early part of the movie, she was, like, trying to solve their marriage by having kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They were talking about that, and I was like, oh my goodness. But, yeah, I do think the war didn't help them, their relationships. Sometimes in crisis, people come together, and sometimes in crisis, people's true colors are revealed. And so I guess their true colors were not to each other. Yeah, I think it's, I think the opening is really interesting in sort of establishing that on and off sort of dynamic Mm -hmm. between them. I personally, I personally found it kind of hilarious, just yawn. Like there's a moment where when they're, when they get bombed, like she's like shoot the chicken like there's this whole debate about like whether or not to take the chicken and it's like how are we gonna kill it I'm not gonna wring its neck and then like she's just like shoot it and Jan literally like two feet away just misses and there's just like five seconds like a couple seconds of silence and they're just like well this is sort of pathetic and it, I, I was laughing so I think that's probably the weirdest laugh I've seen I've had at an Ingmar Bergman film ever but I think just the relationship of like his character being like sort of, I don't know, a bit skittish, a bit running away and have a strong personality. It just didn't really bold well, in my opinion. I agree with that. And I think the war sort of encroaching upon it just like adds to that sort of 
I think Inmar described it best when in an interview he talked about sort of this war, this this movie being about the little war he calls it, and not sort of being about the actual war which is unnamed and there's some other stuff that you could probably go into it about like what the war is actually being talked what what it's talking about and stuff like that but he says he he said that this movie is about the little war in between the relationship and how the actual war affects it so I I totally agree there I think what I like about the beginning is like it doesn't present them as like the angelic couple that disintegrated because of war as you guys mentioned already like they present them as people who had problems coming into and then the war kind of accentuated them I guess you can say so I I really liked how it it wasn't just like well if it can happen to these pristine perfect people you know it I guess you can say it's more relatable even though I hope in our lifetime we are not getting bombed here in the United States um but it's probably gonna happen because everyone hates the United States um um, sorry dark um but true probably um it's I'm sorry I'm so tired no no I, Um, I I think I think about how close we are to North Korea too don't worry um no but like I think it it presents kind of like an interesting I don't know question if I mean it is a movie so it's like you don't necessarily have to think of like a what-ifs for a character but like do you think the they would like despise each other that intensely without a war I I think they kind of did I, I think I, 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 there's an argument to be made that they're trying to grapple. Like you talked about sort of how they were, they were talking about the possibility of children. And Ava was like, I want to bring children or I forget who didn't want to, one of them didn't want to bring children into a war, like a world with this type of war and stuff like that. And it sort of seemed like they were grappling, grab, they were trying to grasp at a future that maybe didn't exist in their minds, question mark, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely think things, the perfect life already w- may have already been lost when the war started. Because we're, I also think about how they were formerly violinists. And then the world, the, the movies, the movies doesn't start at the beginning of the war. It starts sort of in the middle when they've already lost what they conceivably put their lives to, which is this artistic craft. And it no longer is of use in a time of crisis. Yeah. Exactly. And so it, it, I, I think already their, their lives, they lost something in their lives, but the disintegration just happens as their lives, what, what's remaining of their lives just gets taken away from them. I don't know. It's I also just kind of, the beginning kind of just like gives you like, I mean, it would be such a bore and such so overwhelming if it was just getting them getting bombed over and over and over again or get them getting harassed over and over and over again so there is that kind of a lightness in the beginning but I, and again it, it like it also just provides like complexity to them as people you know you know it's not like they're both perfect people what were you gonna say stephanie sorry i totally cut you off I was thinking this is like a way huge stretch, but so they were both violinists, right? And obviously, at least I think Yan displays like a, he like misses the Philharmonic. And I think 
Eva does too. Like when she talks about when she's giving her interview, she says that she used to be a violinist at the Philharmonic. And then the guy is like, what else? And she's like, there's nothing else. And so she, for them, it's pretty clear. I think that music was their life. And when I think about them in terms of their relationship, I think it's totally possible that music was the one thing that like was one of the supporting legs of their relationship, like being in, in music together and having that common interest. And this is where I'm making a huge jump, but I'm thinking about the end of The Lobster, where the main two characters bond over having bad eyesight. And then she, one of them is blind. And then so the huge question at the end of the movie is like, well, are they going to be able to kill, still maintain a relationship when their one like thing in common is no longer there anymore? And so in terms of their relationship, I wonder if like taking away their music and art from them contributed to like the deterioration of their relationship. I don't think that's a stretch. I think that's probable. Okay. I just, I was like, and then the lobster, totally different film. <laughs> Uh, no, that that one hundred percent makes sense to me too, and I, I I think I think the there's there's I think in a lot of films I think Ingmar in a lot of his films talks about art and there's a lot about like mm -hmm. the artist the artistic struggle, and I think it's them being violinists goes into that and there's like a lot of moments like the interview moment and sort of the them seeing the foot interview and stuff like that that go to that we could probably talk about that now or later but yeah. I think that was sort of the core and what, what's remaining now is sort of very flimsy and eventually very yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah I mean the other the big thing that I always think of and sorry for dropping topics a bit soon but I, the one thing I, I always wanted to talk about with Ingmar Bergman is sort of the way the way he frames people is probably one of the most interesting things if you like the way he frames sort of the faces and sort of how he frames people talking to each other is just so interesting to me. I don't know if that stood out to either of you as something that you saw, but like the way sort of like at when you think about the end and sort of the way Ava looks at Jean and like he's laying down and her face is like this and they're sort of talking at each other. It's really interesting. You, you need to, you need to describe what you just yeah yeah oh yeah that's that's a great point yeah cynthia thank you for the heads up so like what i'm describing is at the very end of the, the so like the last shot essentially in the film is jean and ava on the boat and ava describing the dream and the way ingmar positions it is the camera's looking at both of them but jean is laying face down and he's looking up from the bottom of the frame while ava is in the back fills out the rest of the background and she's looking straight at John and there's sort of this inherent disconnection there in a lot of the relationships in his films and including this one that I think is accentuated by how he frames people and sort of I think it's really interesting what he tries to do there I don't know if that stood out to either of you as some as a point of interest but yeah when they're talking about their potentially having children, um, you only see Eva's, mm -hmm. Eva's face. She's, mm -hmm. it, they're like sitting across from each other at the table, but the camera is positioned behind Jan. Does he and do so that you never in persona? Sorry to cut you off. What does he do that? Doesn't he do that quite a bit in persona? I'm it's, it's been a minute, but it, 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 I wouldn't be surprising if he 
does. It would like be surprising. Of, like reflecting and doubling. Doubling in persona. I don't know. Never mind. Sorry. I mean, that just that was one instance that stood out to me as I think something that was clearly very deliberate, just like never showing Jan's face when he talked about it. And so that was I noticed that as well. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, it was not necessarily like like how close he got to the people in this film in terms of framing their faces. The, the, the sequence that stands out to me the most is when they're I think it's them getting onto the ferry and they like go through a gate and then the camera is in the car. It's like this handheld camera right next to, in between Jan and Eva in the car. And then Eva goes out of the car and the camera kind of just stays there. So you get like a really massive shot of Jan's face as it tries to pan as if like we're watching her in that space in between them. So yeah, that's kind of what stood out to me too is like how close he got. Again, I'm not I'm not a Bergman expert. I've seen like two of his, three of his films. I keep forgetting I watched his like first ever movie. I forgot what it was called and it's it's nothing like what he has created later so probably why it's out of my memory but yeah I, I i think i think it's interesting the stuff he does with the handheld gets us really close but also like mm-hmm. i'm thinking of when jacoby comes over and, and they and they ha- he has dinner with jan and ava and jan mm-hmm. gets really drunk it's that one still it's shot one of shot, all yeah. three of them and you sort of are put in this perspective um, that Ingmar forces you to see the entire thing throughout mm-hmm. its entire just like runtime of like the breakdown and arguably that is like the that's the point of that's like weirdly you can consider that the midpoint of the movie because I think everything after that is just a complete teardown of the relationship yeah um, agreed. that we've been waiting for and the fact that he makes that I think it's some it's a really interesting choice to do that and so I, I, I always find in the films I've watched of his, that's probably something that I think people should definitely consider when they're watching the film. I mean, we love Sven Nyquist. I think I pronounced his name correctly. And Gunnar Fischer, great cinematographers. Yes. Also, Liv Ullman. Liv, I, I think I'm, I hope I'm saying it right. Ullman. Yeah. Liv Ullman has like the most photogenic face I've ever seen (laughs) in like holy like Ingmar Bergman just zooms in on her face and I'm like yes drugs give it to me (laughs) she is is such a good yes yes her face is really nice I mean so Mox Sado like equally as attractive maybe less so yeah it's I, I I always I, I think it's one of the reasons for sure why Bergman keeps collaborating with them. Like they're they're obviously talented, but the he just knows how to shoot them really really well. And I think it's also hard because when you think about sort of the what he has to do to get the actors in the position, like you have to be here and you have to be here in order for this to look so really interesting in the way that I see it, and to find actors that will do that. And we'll do that so well in the way that the director says it, I think is really interesting. And like, I, I forget the other guy, the guy that played Jacoby, Gunnar. Oh, last um, name starts yeah, with the yeah, B. Yeah, he's yeah. in like everything. He's in all of them too, he's so pretty much. Sad. 
Yeah. He's the knight in Seventh Seal, right? Yeah, I think. Friend. I think he's one of the knights. I know he's a he's the pastor he's the, in Winter's Light. Um, I think he's that's the one who, um, is on the journey with Max von Sydow. Yeah. His character is a really sad arc as well. Yeah, I I I I think it's just I I I agree with that. I think his arc's really interesting in the sense that like he's grasping onto this power that also sort of is stripped away from him by this mm-hmm. like larger war. Like he's the former town mayor mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he becomes a cog in this machine. And like the fact that he needs to buy his freedom out of it, it's like at the end, you, you think he's like all, he has his power. And then as you see him like slowly wither away, the more he interacts with John and Yeva, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. And like it's how sad. often they mention that he does, it's kind of like, I think it's like a grasp at like, maintaining some sort of power dynamic with them because it was already there when he was the mayor but also kind of this like loneliness in terms of like him having switched in order to become the power that he is or that he supposedly has yeah and i i I find it just that the the scene where he i don't know he's just he he seems just like a such a lost soul like the epitome of a lost soul for me um in any movie and the, yeah, I, I like how he just like sadly like chases her and it's it's not like he's like super aggressive either I mean don't get me wrong it's like really bad that he's like essentially like prostituting her um yes but, um just like kind of a way that's like even hit he's like 70 percent hit <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I think one of the Oh shit! I forgot what I was gonna say. Okay, if any of you okay. have something to say, say it because I, I I'm trying to remember now what I was gonna say. It was. I I was just I spent a lot of time after the movie thinking about like sort of the moral quandary that's presented, probably like separately from the relationship stuff, but just like like how like I guess Jaco- you could probably include Jacoby in it, but yeah, how Jan just progressively does eviler things because. And he just sort of justifies it. He's like, well, we kind of have to. It's like a us or them. He shoots the boy because he's like, we needed his supplies. And Eva is pretty like, he. she condemns a lot of his escapism. And I'm just like thinking about that a lot in terms of because like I have my own friends that I'm like, if you were in this situation, you would commit murder. Oh God! Oh, whoa! <laughs> I just know I it. I don't fall into that yeah, category. Yeah, let me know if I'm on that yeah. list. Yeah. No, you're not. No, it was like a separate like self crisis I was having about one of my friends that I've been with a long time, and I'm just like, I don't really think you're like, I don't really think you have like a moral backbone. You know, put enough pressure on you, and you'll snap, and you'll just do whatever. But whatever, it's unrelated. But I, th- I definitely align more with Eva, like when she's going to save the pilot and um her husband's like Jan is like no and she's like you fucking coward I was like yes you tell him and I was thinking about that a lot and it's like there's also the whole idea of like is it correct for me or anyone to act as if they are better than someone else who may have caved into pressure mm-hmm. in like a war situation like this isn't just like r- normal peer pressure someone is like pressuring you to bully someone or something this is like war and death and everything which i i feel like warrants maybe a little more patience and understanding from me but it was it just got me thinking about like like the concept of one's principle 
like mm -hmm. no matter what you adhere to a certain code or whatever and at what level some people might not feel that way and they might just like do whatever it takes to survive and is it like is it right of me to shame someone else who had done that is it right is it right for eva to like get angry at jan for choosing not to save the pilot because he's scared because there's bombs dropping around him and so that's something that i was thinking about a lot i think i definitely align with eva where i'm just like angry at people who like cave into what they believe or they they give up what they believe in because of pressure even if it's even if it's imminent death but yeah that and jacoby and all that yeah i mean that's it's really interesting because it's like literally he, he, the, the the title of the film is shame and the question is like who whose shame are we talking about and mm -hmm. i've seen critics like talk about like oh it's god shame but like I think very directly, personally, I agree with you. Like, like I, I couldn't help but like imagine myself in this situation. Like everything's basically stripped from me. My house, my relationships, you know, the thing, the crafts that I've been pursuing for most of my life and like what is left afterwards is just like such a scary thought. And I know for Bergman, he, he, he stated in an interview once, he was like, I can never ever watch any film of mine ever because if I do, it will make me cry. And I was like, he legit, he's like, I've never, he's like, he's like, I haven't watched Persona since the final cut in like the 60s. And that was like a 2003 interview or something like that. And I was like, damn, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think he just did a really good job of putting you in that situation. And I don't know, I, 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 don't, I, I don't think there's any shame or blame that I put on them, but there's definitely shame and guilt that's, they put upon each other yeah if you like survive that if jan and eva survives that situation and like the mm -hmm. war ends and everything they have to like live with the actions that they took and and i i right now i say that i'm aligned with eva and that's how i feel but i don't actually know that because i've never been in like a situation where my house was like being bombed and so <laughs> even though they are like oh eva's she's in the right and i'm totally like Eva and I would do what Eva is doing. I don't act, I can't say or know that because I can, right now my head is clear and I have no pressure, but it's, I guess, totally possible you put that, me in that situation and I could cop out too. I won't, like, I don't know for sure. I don't know what my breaking point is with mm -hmm. that kind of, and so that, that moral quandary and moral assassination thing that's going on where people are, I guess kind of like saw where <laughs> people are just being put into these really horrible situations. Yeah, I mean, I, I think another point of interest I wanted to talk about also was I saw a lot of people saying that. So the, obviously, in the historical context, this was made in 1968 oh, yeah. during the time of Vietnam War. Yeah. yeah, and I see, and I saw a lot of people saying. Uh, like cr critics saying this is like a, a commentary especially with the whole plot of Ava sort of having to declare political affiliations and stuff like that so I don't know I I I had some thoughts about whether or not that's what Ingmar Bergman was going for but I, I don't know explicitly it wasn't <laughs> yeah he, he he said it wasn't and I, I I definitely agree with that but I don't know I I think personally it must for have me. been on his mind yeah 
it, the influence is no doubt there, like especially the one side being the democratic socialists and the other like not. And I don't know, it's just, it, it's real. It, it, it's really interesting just to think about it in that context and whether that was directly an influence. Cause obviously like, I think Ingmar Bergman throughout his career is very apolitical in a sense that he doesn't want to impart, you know, a message necessarily. He wants mm-hmm. you to just more work towards an interpretation on your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I don't know. It, it, it was interesting to think about it in that context. Like generally anything like during the 1970s slash early 60s and politically anything on like, oh, Vietnam or Nixon or either or both. Yeah, I, it, with Bergman, it's always like a psychological reevaluation, right? Which is like essentially what like Stephanie scrolled out when she was talking about her own existentialism with the film. <laughs> um, like to quote John Mulaney, I just had a moment where I was like, "There's a line in one of his specials where he was like, you have the backbone of a the moral backbone of a chocolate eclair.'" And I was like, "I feel that. I that's how I feel about some of the people that I know. I'm like, if." A little bit of pressure is put on, like, there's some people I know, I'm like, if someone, like, attacked me in the street, you would just pretend not to know me because you just wouldn't want to deal with that kind of, like, like, I don't know. Okay. I hope I'm not in this black No, you're not. This is, like, one of my friends from high school that I was just, like, having, I was, I've been, like, this per the person in question said a lot of really insensitive things when the, like, anti-Asian attacks were going on. And so it just made me really angry. And I was thinking about a lot of this said person's past behaviors and how they are just like, they like refuse to like, they don't want to get into any of that ugly stuff. Cause then it's like, they like, they don't want to have to think about it. The per- said person is white man, by the way. Um, but he was like, oh, I don't think anyone will be attacked in U District because like 75 of the restaurants here are Asian restaurants. And I was like, who the mm, fuck are you? And he was just saying it so he could resolve, he could absolve himself of the responsibility of having to think about that. And it wasn't even to like make me feel better or anything like that. And so this movie, when I see Jan doing the things he's doing and using his escapism tactics and everything, it made me hella angry. I was like, I relate, Eva. Anyway, sorry we can cut that out of the pod. Like, um, I've been having a summer crisis. I think you need to get back up here to Seattle. Yeah, come back. Yeah. We'll do pods in person, and then we can all yell together. It makes me livid. Okay, anyways, my going back to what I wanted to say (laughs) you know like Bergman's films they are mostly just like psychological reevaluations of the self but so like the Vietnam War aspect I don't think is like something that he necessarily wants to comment on with the film but like when you watch it like maybe it's not a condemning of the Vietnam War but it has to be a war itself right yeah I, I agree. I think it's really interesting because I also, th- th- this, it, Ingmar, he has like an island specifically that like he he filmed a lot of his 
films on yeah. and lived on. And then we're going to get that the movie. movie. Love movie. It, yeah. Exactly. Bergman so Island. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it, I, I think it's interesting because I, I just, I was like thinking, I'm like, oh, this is like set in Sweden. And then I'm like, wait, is this set in Sweden? Is this set anywhere in general? Like I was trying to remember. They never mentioned it. They never mentioned it. And I was like, I, I think that was a purposeful choice to sort of separate it from, to make this a much more human thing rather than a political message or a commentary on what's happening now. Um, it's something that I think I could watch. Like, it's something like if, if this was very Vietnam, I still could relate to it, but like knowing that it's more general in the sense of its setting, I think kind of helps it in my opinion. So. That's why I sort of like to believe this isn't necessarily a direct commentary on the Vietnam War or anything, but yeah. They never mention like why they're fighting and they also never mention who they're fighting against. They only <laughs> say the enemy. That is also very true. Yeah, I was also, when I was writing my summary, I was like, what do I call them? I'm like, enemy militants. That's that's all I could come up with. Enemy. The enemy. Yeah. I don't know. And then one of the other things that I wanted to talk about was the ending. I think this might be the hardest ending ending. Like I just needed a oh hard God. minute to, to the, everything from the minute I they leave the shore. I went to my bedroom and just laid on my bed. <laughs> yeah, like literally I just took like a cold shower and I was like, damn. Like I just, I just stood in cold water for like five minutes and I was like, I just like need to take a minute because like god i was I, I watched this back when I, I was i was at my parents house overnight and my brother walked in on the last like 10 minutes and he's like what the f did you just watch and i was like bro you don't understand like it's just like I, he's like no i understand i saw the last 10 minutes i'm pretty sure i get the gist of where this movie ended but <laughs> anyway i i i i personally liked it i i think my favorite aspect weirdly is the the it or my connection was the dream sequence at the end is like no country for old men and sort of this dream sequence tommy lee jones says at the end i don't know mm -hmm. i made a weird connection there i i don't think either of them have anything to do with each other but both of them just hit me in such a hard thing they're both telling just, just these abstract very abstract yeah. stories that like absolutely have nothing to do with anything that came before but like say everything in the one minute that they're speaking and I think that's why it ends for me so well 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 it's a weird word to say um in, in specific not just like the word well is weird to say but like in this context of the because it's a really dark ending but I don't know what it what what are your what are your all thoughts on the ending I mean I agree I didn't even think about no country but I think the sentiment is equal where it's just like we just saw like the most absurd actions happening like for like the hour 42 minutes before this one sequence and then you have this just one person just kind of being like you know what if you know a world what if I could live in a world or like even just think of something else and like try to grasp on to kind of a sanity that just isn't afforded to them anymore because of what they have experienced and yeah that her just saying that and I was just like what the it yeah it hurt it hurt a lot um it hit really hard 
But I think what makes it even like more hard hitting is how it, we kind of got there in terms of like they're on this boat and like the gradual degradation of everyone's kind of psychology and physical well-being and then all the lead up ah maybe it's just like anytime I see like bodies floating in a wa water in any movie just like viscerally it's very visceral 1917 I, I'm thinking more of Titanic but yeah sure <laughs> um but yeah like them kind of waking up to being mere bodies and then all of them like trying to push him away and it won't and then watching the sailor kind of slip slip into suicide because he knows that they're kind of fucked like all of that in caps and then leading up to that like last moment of not like the only way for her to feel somewhat hopeful about the situation at hand but we've been led up to this whole like all the surroundings around it kind of just prove that it won't be um that kind of juxtaposition is really fraught and just devastating yeah i i think for me what what makes it hit all is just how quiet the 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 entire boat ride is um like it's not like a loud like boom and then there's nothing it's just slow quiet there's no there's no score the diegetic music is very minimal and it's just it's so haunting like I think that's the one thing I always think of is like I think Bergman does fear so well and fear a much more existential and metaphysical fear but like I I was just so haunted by that entire sequence and like just seeing just this boat in like the middle of an ocean and there's like nothing around the for like what and you can't see anything on the horizon yeah I just uh, and I think the this the creepiest thing by far was the patch of just like soldiers of like mm -hmm. like I, I thought it was like some seaweed or something like that initially like for like half a second I was like oh dang they're okay. gonna get the motors caught or something like that but nah it was like I mean they people. could have gotten the motors caught but I mean yeah that's true thankfully it died before so we didn't have to see too much carnage in that respect but yeah I was just I I, I was completely like I, I I failed to not have my jaw dropped at any Bergman movie so far and like that whole boat sequence is just like jaw-droppingly horrifying somewhat strangely beautiful at the end but like sad and like oh my gosh like it hit me so deep in my soul stephanie's nodding yeah stephanie's nodding does that mean it also hit you deep yeah in the soul I mean, as well stuck in bodies on the water and i was just like how ironic is it for for the pe the survivors to be people that probably have committed less less than savory sins mm -hmm, to get such as are. murder to be caught up in their escape in dead bodies you know yeah i mean it's interesting like on a on a much more figurative sense it could be seen as like the soldiers tried to escape the war as well but they didn't have i don't know like they're they also got they also died on the water um in their efforts to do so i don't know if that's like plot wise i don't think that's true but like maybe in a more figurative sense but huh uh, i think you're 
Cool. Is it working? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the ending seems rough. Like the just I god, I don't even think I was thinking that hard about it. I was just like, oh no, they're stuck in a whole bunch of bodies. And it's it's really hard to ignore that when you're watching it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Floating bodies, man. There's something just extremely horrifying. About How could it. they do that? Did they have that advanced of special effects in the 60s, I guess? I don't know. I, I'm assuming that it was just like a sacks of potatoes or something. I mean, well, they, well, there were faces. Yeah. I was like, did, were I'm there real people just like, holding their breath? In, yeah. Yeah. Also, that commitment. That's 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 extra commitment right there. Today's standards is just like you CGI that stuff, but nah. <laughs> Bergman's like you're gonna hold your breath for a solid thirty seconds, and please don't die so we don't get sued. And action for art, for art, exactly the artistic struggle that we <laughs> mentioned before. Yeah, shit, shit, shit. Some some directors do a thousand takes of the same shot. Some directors have you hold your breath underwater multiple times and hope you don't die yeah pick your poison <laughs> yeah pick your poison jesus christ <laughs> yeah on that sunny note i think it's interesting i think that's those are the big points i personally wanted to talk about i don't know if there's anything else in the films that you you all wanted to talk about perhaps anything that stood out to you any reason why you would not or would, I'm assuming would, based off of this conversation, recommend the film to people? Well, if you're not feeling like the best version of yourself, I feel oh, like you shouldn't watch this. Oh yeah, please, please do not and watch again, this. I wasn't watching it when I was like, I'm super hyped. But I did get into the mindset of like I'm gonna be focused. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're if you're distracted by the by the by the overwhelms of life please do not make this your yeah please do not make this your priority in terms of like oh you know i have nothing better to do for an hour and 40-ish minutes let's just turn on shame by igmar bergman on the criterion channel oh god <laughs> like please don't make that a sentiment or a thought you have in your life because this definitely should be watched maybe once if you're a scholar, maybe twice, but it's a it is a definitely a hard rewatch for me personally. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming Agreed. that's also your sentiment. Yeah, yeah. Stephanie, any 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 reason you think people should should check out Ingmar Bergman's Shame? Um, a, it's Ingmar Bergman. B, Solid. you'll just you're. It is a good check on your faith in humanity. <laughs> As Stephanie is realizing for herself. I know. I just I just had a very, like, watching it at this moment in time in line with my own personal crisis was, like, very visceral. The two experiences ca capitalized on each other. And so I had a lot of strong emotions. It's Ingmar Bergman. The main actress is hella photogenic. And lots of really good themes on war and interpersonal relationships and moral conscience i like the pitch and i i 100 agree with that too i would recommend this to anybody that is looking for ingmar especially since i saw this on wikipedia but this is apparently the last film bergman 
that it, Bergman one if that was a Bergman theatrical release that was in black and white and the Academy ratio. So from here on out, it's color and or black and white on television and stuff like that. So yeah, I think we both we all recommend it. Um, you can all, as we stated before, you can go ahead watch this on the Criterion channel. And I think that wraps up our conversation on this. So thanks for all for listening. Um, before we head out, if you're interested in learning more about UW Film Club, you can follow us at Film Club UW on Twitter and Instagram. And if you're interested in podcast episodes like these or anything before, our whole entire podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Next week, we will be talking about Autumn Sonata, which... Uh, Depression 2.0. Yeah, another sunny walk in the park for the film club people here on this podcast. So um, get ready for the sunshine. At least we're watching this when the sun's out. You know, it'd be like way harder if this was like the sunset at four o'clock. And I'm just like, well, time to fire up some Ingmar Bergman, I guess. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And so I'm pretty sure you can also watch that on the Criterion channel, probably on HBO Max, though I'm not 100% sure. But I own it and I've never watched it dang yeah okay was that why you suggested watching autumn sonata yeah okay so we're watching this because cynthia has has it and has not watched it so everybody follow up on that because it um, has the other bergman ingrid is that oh ingrid bergman? It, does it have ingrid bergman mm-hmm. what i never the thought there was one that has the two bergmans no way i'm searching this yes way also has this is is mind-blowing i never thought i i I, for the longest time i always confused ingrid and ingmar bergman as like the same person before i knew too too much about film i was like oh they're the same person and so when i heard like ingmar bergman directed like the seventh seal many many years ago i was like wait is that the woman from casablanca Mm -hmm. i was i was so confused for a second so i'm glad she directed all those movies. Isn't Space Jam a new legacy? What? Is she actually? Wait, what? Wait, she's still oh, alive. No, Archive oh, footage. Never oh, mind. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember now why. Um, yeah, if you, I'll just say this right now. Space Jam made me super depressed. Did um, LeBron go into Persona? Yeah, uh, no, not, not, not that. Oh, Casablanca. Uh, oh, I see. Imagine if you went into Persona. <laughs> what a i i i feel we should have like i will say this working at amc right now nobody is coming into space jam theaters right now and it's made my job as an usher a lot easier but if they made it persona a part of like one of the movies that space jam enters into i would own that on blu-ray right now do you think lebron knows what persona is this is me as a lakers fan who's like i love lebron uh, I don't think so. I think AD definitely knows though. <laughs> AD definitely knows that about Persona for sure. Shooter can now own Persona because of that new 120 Max. Oh, he or, better not know. be getting that shit. That's so disgusting. Me seeing that. It, has it happened yet? I, I, I thought the I, I thought the Lakers the president news. announced. I thought he announced it. He was like, this is our commitment. I, I don't know. Yeah, but Chicago's offering him more. Oh interesting 
And yeah, thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Cynthia, for spending about an hour with me discussing this great film. And we'll catch you all next week. Bye. Thank you.